welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Knowing. I am Ciel Grove. It is a beautiful May morning here, and I'm joined by Allison again. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. It's also beautiful over here in New York. Oh, is it? Yes, nice. thank goodness. Yeah. Has it been a fairly okay spring there, or um, from the inside? Very, from the inside, it's been very gray. Then we had that like weird Arctic blast warning. We didn't get it in the oh, city. Oh, right on the east, yeah. Yeah, yeah that I'm yeah. like, oh. May winter is all we need now. Um, How bizarre. But now it's like warming up. We had our first really hot day. It's been helpful. I love New York. It's just such an amazing city. Yeah. So vibrant. So, um, yeah, we uh, are excited to talk about some spirit animal stuff today, which is a conversation that I really, I always enjoy having with people. Um, And it's something that Allison and I have spent a fair amount of time talking about previously. It uh, tends to bring up a lot of um, confusion, I think. Would you say, Allison, for people around this subject? Yeah, yes, as you can tell by my stuttering, (laughs) yes. Uh Where do you think the confusion comes from? I I think it's just, it feels very elusive. It's like, what is it exactly? Um, It it feels like everybody is the same animal in a lot of ways. Like, I feel like everybody has like Mm. these really like sexy animals. Everybody's like (laughs) an owl or a wolf or something amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. No one's like, I'm a platypus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... It's a very <laughs> sexy animal. Platypuses are very Highly attractive. underrated. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah, I think it just is kind of like, what does it really mean? How do we use mm-hmm. it? How is it helpful? And Right. And it, it, I mean, it definitely like is a stretch for our modern kind of Western culture minds to even conceptualize of like some animal. I mean, without us thinking of it actually as a third dimensional kind of being, you know, but an animal spirit, a spirit of anything that it serves as an ally or supporter or medicine for us, right? I mean, this is, it's actually something that it has existed. If you look at many civilizations, this idea of, you know, I, I think it's, it might be a bit of a stretch, but even like the idea of the muses in, in Greek mythology and Greek thought was this idea that, you know, there are these spiritual beings that are giving you insights, they're giving you creativity, they're, they're affording you perspectives that you wouldn't be able to take just on your own, right? And that is a similar kind of concept to how I was introduced to the work that we do with with animal spirits and animal guides. Um, and it was it was hard for my brain to even comprehend. I mean, I was very, very lucky to be working with this teacher from from Bolivia who introduced me to my spirit animal. And you know, the next day, I was riding my bike through Golden Gate Park, and I come around a corner up this little hill. And there's a coyote, and I, wor- I work predominantly with coyote. And she was sitting right on the side of the road, and I stopped my bike, and I just stood there, and she was about three feet away from me. And the coyotes in, in Golden Gate Park are really, you know, notoriously very tame, and they're actually kind of domesticated in a sense. They're smaller than regular coyotes. But she just sat there and stared at me, and it was, I mean, it was like getting, you know, a slap in the face to be like, okay, you really should believe this, because as my teacher had spent the evening before saying, okay, we're going to connect you with her, she's going to be, you know, now available to you to build a relationship with, to draw wisdom from, and to reconnect with, because she's, I mean, our, our predominant spirit, spirit animals are always with us. We come into this world, this is the teachings, that we come into this world with them. And then we lose our connection with them. And and as we lose our connection with them, we lose our access to alternate forms of, of our own kind of wisdom, you know, or ways that we can interact with life kind of specific to this incarnation. So 
Mm. So yeah, it was, I don't think people generally have that kind of, I mean, I hope they do, but I don't think they often have that kind of intense experience with um, an introduction, but I was pretty Mm. lucky to have that, so... Do you feel like someone else has to connect you to your animal or is there a way that you can discover, meet your animal on your own? Yeah, I mean, you know, facilitation through breathwork. I know a lot of people, their breathwork's, you know, really big right now and, and I think reasonably so because the you know, from holotropic, holotropic breathwork from Stanislav Graf and, and all of the sort of branches out from there, this breathwork has the capacity to shift our consciousness. And this is really what a shamanic practitioner is doing if you have tasked them with coming into contact with your animal spirit, you know, going into the upper world, lower world, wherever they might be um, venturing to, talking directly to spirit in in my lineage, Um that person is shifting out of their everyday consciousness to be able to access those realms of intelligence, right? And so holotropic breathwork and all these other breathwork practices have that ability. They can actually get people pretty instantly um, into a state where they are able to access other dimensional experiences, different realms. Um, so can a really you know high dose of LSD, so like go for your life. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm not going to suggest that, but I'm just saying it can, it can, and people do, and those experiences are possible. But but this is why Stanislav Graf came up with holotropic breathwork was because it was a way of shifting your consciousness into, I mean, what some people call non-ordinary reality. He has a different word or way of phrasing it because he's like... This is actually perfectly ordinary. You know, our minds are made to go into these other states. Perhaps the limitation to just this version of reality is actually not ordinary. I mean, you talk to the Australian Aboriginal people, they'd say that, you know, that this is just the the dream life. You know, the waking life is what we experience in other projections of our consciousness into the dream world what we call the dream world or you know other dimensions so so yes people can do this on their own um some people have spontaneous connections some people certainly you know have this kind of innate relationship or just automatic relationship with a particular animal you know and and they don't know why they've always had an affinity to it um, and it's come up, you know, frequently in their lives or some, you know, that kind of relationship with it. So, so sometimes people even know what their predominant animal ally might be just automatically. Mm. How many allies might you have? Mm-hmm. Or is it just uncountable? Well, so you have, in the way that I was taught in my lineage, you have... Allies that are with you all the time, basically. Ones that you want to build a relationship with. Ones that are, in in my tradition, we each have three gifts. And it is our task as a human being to figure out what those three gifts are. And these, mm. these are healing gifts. They might not necessarily manifest in a sort of classical way that we as, think of as healing, you know. Um, they might be the gift of humor, right? I mean, that can be a a huge, profound healing thing that we offer back into the system that we can offer as medicine to ourselves as well. But we each have to figure out what our gifts are. And often these gifts are associated with a spirit animal. So, I mean, I work predominantly with three main spirit animals teachers and and they I would call them my allies because they are with me all the time then I've also at times um, depending on what's been going on in my life built relationships with other spirit animals that come in as a as a treatment as a medicine for a time right and I mm-hmm. I do have a relationship with them I think I could still call on them but say um, wolf energy uh, when I had Lyme disease I I had really, really bad night blindness, so bad that I, I could not drive at night. And I was living in San Francisco at the time. And one night I was wa- or driving across the Bay Bridge when I really, I didn't realize how bad my sight had got. And I I was like 
blacking out, you know, and, and not, not like blacking out unconscious, but like I, I, there was no light coming into my eyes. I couldn't see the edges of the bridge and like, it was, it was terrifying. And so I called my teacher the next day and said like, what's going on here? And, you know, she did a reading for me and, and told me a bunch of nutritional stuff, but then also said, you need to call on Wolf. You need to actually imagine yourself as a wolf when you are trying to get your eyes to work imagine that you have you know yellow eyes and you can see clearly and and call upon that archetypal energy to help you heal to to rebalance you know that um, imbalance in your eyes and the way that your body is functioning and I mean it was hugely important for that phase of my healing because it really I believe it did help quite a bit with my eyes um, and I'll still sometimes because my night blindness is pretty good now but sometimes I still feel like my eyes are a little wonky and so mm-hmm. I will still call on wolf but she's not something that's with me all the time she's not like my like coyote inborn teacher. energy no totally yeah. um, and I you know I Sometimes when I am working with people and they're going through a particular thing, then you say, I will say to them, okay, you should, or it would benefit you to call upon a hummingbird, you know, as we were talking about the before, or a snake, or, or something that is is a temporary medicine for you. And I believe that this is how they show up in our lives, right, is these flashes of insight that arrive at the moment that we need them, right? These are mm. These are different applications of an animal medicine as opposed to the actual like allyship and creating a long-term relationship with them right Mm. so when you were introduced to coyote what what is the in like how did you know like oh this is something that is innately within me Mm. I don't know how you differentiate this like current medicine versus like oh this is a lifelong relationship well, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I, I'm smiling because like one of the things, I, th- I can't remember how my teacher put it, but something like coyote is the thing that the, the mythology of coyote is that he was created by the gods um, and all the animals had been created. This is, I think, a, more of a Lakota or maybe even Apache. I'm not sure of the, the roots of this mythology, but it's First Nations mythology that Coyote was the trickster and he was created along with all the other animals and he looked around one day and was like, everything's perfect. This is crazy. What a what a boring time this is, you know? And so he created mankind just to piss off everything else, you know, and to make chaos happen, right? So he's the mm-hmm. one that's always playing games, playing tricks, you know, making people kind of uncomfortable and she said to me when she was introducing me to this spirit she said you know that people who carry this spirit just tend to make other people just frustrated or like like they always do the thing that they're not supposed to do you know and I I don't I maybe I should get my mom on this podcast at some point and ask her this (laughs) explicitly but I'm pretty sure that she might describe me as that you know like all kids are going along with things and I'd be like hmm, nope, I don't want to do that because I don't even know why I don't want to do that. I just know that I shouldn't go along with stuff. Like I I have a very active, vivid memory of being a child and loving being in the garden. But because I knew that my mom wanted me to be in the garden, I would pretend that I didn't like being in the garden. And I remember thinking like, why are you doing this? You know, like I was just provocative, you know, and, and I just poke and poke and poke and and so when she was describing the animal to me, there was a resonance, you know, a, a vibrational kind of relationship that I could sense with this energy automatically, right? Yeah. And same with the other ally energies that I work with. It, it like, And again, they had showed up so much in my life. These animals have been consistent. I, I, I was a very terrified child and I used to um, practice routes of escape from my bedroom. So I would I would plan out, like, if aliens came in the house, this is how I would escape. And if coyotes came in the house, and it was always coyotes. I was always afraid of, of them coming in the house. And uh. and so I would think about them a lot, you know, and because there was a lot of coyotes around our, our place. So, yeah. I mean, it is a tricky thing. I think that it's a beautiful thing to be able to work with a practitioner to say, you know, can you can you contact or, or reach into 
you know, the spirit realm and ask for my allies to come forward. Um, but I, you know, if people have access to breathwork practitioners that they trust, they can also facilitate this, this journey that way. So, right. So how do we know that we're not working with these animals from a place of ego? Mm. Basically it's like, you know, how how do you know it's real? Right. right. And not just like, I'm a lion. (laughs) You might be a lion, Allison. It's okay. You can you can be a lion, you know. I mean, that is a tricky thing because as you said at the beginning, I mean, of course we want to be affiliated with um, big, sexy, powerful animals. Now, part of that, though, is that human beings tend to have more relatability, more resonance with apex predators, right? Because we are an apex predator. So, you know, we're going to look at something that is, you know, quote unquote, at the top of its food chain or evolution or whatever, however we want to see it. And we're going to see ourselves in that more readily, right? It's far easier to see ourselves in a wolf than it is to see ourselves in a spider, say, right? Although certainly people have spiders as medicine for them and allies. But um, this is why a lot of the time... Uh, insects are not often, I mean, certainly they do show up and I don't meet a lot of people who have insects as their actual ally, as their, you know, persistent kind of archetypal energy. I use, um, say, the energy of butterfly or spider or something more as an on-the-spot kind of um, treatment, working with that energy. And so... That is, I think, due to the relatability aspect of it, you know, that we do not necessarily see ourselves or have a lot in common with the insect kingdom. Um, But they're certainly, they serve as medicine for us. So my, the first introduction that I had to journey work was with a Lakota um, teacher and medicine man down in California. And prior to taking us on a journey, you know, to meet our animal spirits, he would say, you know, it's very normal for your brain to summon a wolf or a bear or a, you know, and and let it be there, you know, because to be able to discriminate between, I think, what you're asking, the ego mind, you know, and, and what kind of projections we might be creating because that's going to make us feel better about ourselves. And right. then what else might happen? He said, if you resist the the ego mind, the first kind of output of like, you are a wolf, how magnificent. If you resist that, then you're not going to be allowing the mind to maybe give you another animal. And he said, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, just by letting that happen. And then there's like a mouse that creeps out from the hole in the cave, you know, and says, actually, you know, pick me. I'm, I'm probably more appropriate for you right now. And, and so, we let it just be imaginary at first, you know? I mean, again, we are maybe the only culture who sees our imagination as something to be demeaned, as something that mm. is not meaningful, right? right. And, and who are we to say that, like, I don't know, we, we imagine something, so let it be there, you know? And, right. and let it be okay for right then. And in doing that, then you're going to be able to access this, maybe the deeper reaches of your own connection to, you know, the intelligence around and within us, and something else might emerge, right? Right. One thing you've shared with me in the past that I really love is that it's um, both a gift and a responsibility and that people mm. look at you know, animal energy is something that is just like great for the taking, but there's also like you have to show up in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us Mm -hmm. more about that kind of responsibility that comes with this? Yeah. And do you mean, because you and I have talked about the complexity of working with animal spirit energy, that it's not all, (laughs) not to get polarizing, but it's not all good, right? We also have, there's also tendencies with these energies that can be very difficult, right? Um, Specifically, like for me with coyote energy, when I am not in alignment, my provocative and trickster nature causes a lot of pain for people, and I, mm. I don't mean to do it. I don't mean to be mean and like bite at people's sore spots, but I'm uncannily good at finding <laughs> people's sore spots and then like yeah. just getting in there, right? And done without tact and grace and humor is not a, it's not a nice thing, right? And it's right. so the, you can't just say, oh, I'm a trickster and I get to just piss people off. I mean, there are, you know, the, sacred clowns in in certain traditions that that do 
do that. I mean, that's their role. I'm not that, you know, and that's not the energy I work with. But we, when we work with an archetypal animal spirit energy, there is going to be challenge embedded in that energy as well as gifts, as well as medicine, right? So is that kind of what you're talking about or more about also building yes. a relationship with them? Yeah. Well, both. That it's like building mm-hmm. the relationship, but also realizing that it's not all... It is hard to talk about it like in a not dualistic, Dual. polarizing way of like good totally. and bad or whatever. But yeah. it's like, yeah, how do you work with the whole animal instead of saying right. like, I am this majestic creature and that's the end of the story. Right. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> the end. Oh, well, then maybe to discriminate between working with um, these energies with mastery and not with mastery, right? And mm. and maybe as a non-dualizing, like the, that's that isn't in my mind a polarized sort of conversation. But when we have mastery, we're going to be accessing the highest expressions and kind of levels of the medicine that that is offered in these energetic frequencies. Um, when we're not working with mastery, we might be um, letting the animal energies, I suppose operate unchecked now because we do have to consider that we are not animals in that sense we are not wild animals we have an overriding consciousness right we have rules of engagement within our cultural system you don't get to just be an owl and i don't know you know do what you want or a wolf and just kind of (laughs) be a wolf right and be like screw you guys i'm i'm doing my wolf thing over here like we this is it's a complex relationship right where again i don't get to just Well, I I could. It's not going to benefit me to just act like a wild coyote and just piss people off all the time, you know. We want to be working with medicine, you know, in a a manner that is appropriate to the cultural, you know, experience that we find ourselves in, right? uh, And not not in a complacent way, certainly, but not... um, not giving ourselves total permission to just be whatever we feel like, right? I mean, I, I suppose I Friedrich Nietzsche had this perspective on being a functional human, and he said the best thing that we can do is learn the rules of engagement first and teach these rules of engagement to our children, you know, that we can't teach them just like be you and be this free spirit, you know, as there's a culture that we all exist in. And, and not to say we need to be totally compliant he said you know we also want to be teaching our children how to question things and and challenge stuff but first i think we need to be able to use uh, our character and our traits you know within this system and use them well right and the mm-hmm. same goes with animal medicine so um yeah i mean the responsibility of it that in being a trickster, I say, okay, I get that I'm always going to be provocative. One of the gifts of coyote energy, though, I think, as it is made manifest in in a human, is being able to laugh at yourself and to laugh at circumstance, not in a condemning or or minimizing kind of way, but like in in a lighthearted way, you know, and this is said to be one of the highest states that we can exist in in shamanic medicine is where we have the capacity to laugh at ourselves right and not laugh at at horrible things happen you know this isn't about like laughing through right. or pretending that you know atrocities not a, are not occurring yeah, or go ahead sir you're not a no completely yeah. you know nor are you unkind or uncaring towards the suffering of other people right but right. I mean, I, I think I wrote in the the guidebook to go along with this card, you know, that it's like, are you taking yourself really seriously right now? You know, like so seriously that you can't actually shift out of a pattern or, you know, a, an experience you're having because you're so intense about, you know, fixing it or changing it or, you know, seeing what's wrong, right? Is that that... that levity that comes from being able to have some humor about it is is one of the gifts of coyote that says okay like let's let's dance let's have some fun here for a moment you know like step back and and relax a bit right i was just gonna ask you know knowing that you had such a complex animal was there ever Mm -hmm. a sense of kind of like oh i'd like something a little easier (laughs) (laughs) I will say no for posterity, but yes, of course, you know, like I was like, I just, it's so, even when I was a kid, I could tell that I could 
frustrate people, you know? And that was a really weird experience to have as a child that I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I can walk into a room and have people go, you know, or, oh my God, (laughs) this is so amazing. You know, and I'm like, I'm not even doing anything, you know? And I'm not, I, it is by nature something that I just have, you know, and I've met other people like this too. And some who have, encountered their innate character with immense levity and and have this just humor about the fact that they're like yeah people are gonna experience you however they need to experience you you still though need to be kind honest full of integrity you know uh, mm-hmm. practicing as we say in buddhism the virtues of of being generous and being compassionate and being grateful and and so when I wasn't doing those things, you know, how I showed up in the world was the unchecked coyote energy that was just often kind of offensive, you know, I think um, now in reflection. And I mean that with, with no judgment for my previous self, but but right. not, it was not a, a cultivated um, conscious expression of that energy, right? And so the responsibility of building the relationship with the energy, learning how to use it in a wise and masterful way, um, takes some time. And, and yeah, certainly for a while, I was just like, maybe it would be nice if I could just be one of the easy animals. Like, what if I was a bald eagle and everybody just thought I was, you know, interesting <laughs> and powerful? Yeah, yeah totally. Right. You know, and, and that would be so much more pleasant. But it's... You can't wish away your innate nature. You cannot change it. And if you're in it, it's what you're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, there's no benefit for a coyote to be sitting around bemoaning his coyote-ness. You know, he's he's got a role, right? Right. Right. So let's say we do have an animal, at the very least, that we feel an affinity to, that it's like, okay, this animal has always shown up. I've always loved Mm -hmm. it for whatever reason. What are the next steps to Mm -hmm. deepening the relationship? Right. Um, I would encourage people to move into making that animal sacred for them. And Mm. this we can do by getting a totem and putting it on an altar. If we have an altar, um, just encouraging reflection on that animal, you know, in like... Like if you have a pet, and I, I well, a pet, no, it's not politically correct to say pet. I, what, what, I what? think they say animal companion. Yeah, you're not supposed to say oh, pet. Oh, Lord. It, oh, my God. <laughs> it's, I cannot. It's, uh, sometimes it's interesting, you know, but um, an animal companion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was actually something my mom was telling me about. So people were getting all up in arms about people calling animals pets. Um, I mean, I I do see my animal companions as having their own spirits. Certainly, they're very dependent upon me. But uh, in order to have a good relationship with an animal, you spend time with it. You tell it that you care about it. You know, you show Mm. care. And this is the way that we can show care through placing a totem on our altar or... Um, you know, connecting with it in in sort of a metaphorical way or a figurative way um, whenever possible. And as we do that, we're going to deepen the relationship. We might also do some exploration. There's, you know, no end of writings available now on what spirit animals are offering in terms of teaching or in terms of medicine and, and allyship that, that they bring to people. And so we can... Mm-hmm. Look at that, reflect on, you know, the, the medicine or the characteristics that are being offered and think about how that applies to our life. Uh, we can also certainly do journey work if people are interested. Um, I know Sandra Ingraman had a series of, of pre-recorded drum tracks that were really beautiful for people. The rhythmic experience of drumming gets us mm-hmm. into a fairly hypnotic state. I find that drum journeying is a lot more difficult for people. It takes a lot more effort to... Um, kind of sidestep the logical thinking critical mind and go into the imaginative uh, other consciousness space but uh, it still can you know be a possibility and animals generally go into the lower world to create a relationship and ask them to show you what you need to be shown at that particular moment so um, certainly working with someone is a beneficial thing if you have access to someone who knows the techniques of of connecting with um, other spirit guides that can be beneficial. Again, though, sometimes I think that the relationship of just 
knowing through our own personal affiliation, you know, and recognizing like, wow, this animal's always been there. It is unca- it's amazing to me how often people will say, oh no, this is this is something, this is an animal that I've been connected to my whole life. They, they seem to know somehow people right. have said it to them or it just, that animal shows up all the time, right? And so that can be really affirming, I think, to people to say, I know, you know, I, I've always known that this was with me and maybe building the relationship might... Um, it might be beneficial to have somebody, you know, helping you to connect with that part of your kind of soul self, soul energy. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, there's there's no shortage of stuff uh, available online in the world right now. So, mm. do you do you suggest like okay, if this animal keeps coming in, is it? Better to just Google it and see what kind of the general meaning is, or <laughs> or well, do you sit with it? Um, yeah, I mean, this is you know something that I, I I wrote in the beginning of the the entry or the book to for the deck, and something that a teacher said to me many years ago, kind of in the beginning of my spiritual journey that really was powerful, and it's also something that. People talk about when you're doing, say, dream analysis work, you know, and Carl Jung was very emphatic about this, that while we can have symbolic um, associations with things or for this conversation, animals, you know, that within our, what he called the, you know, collective unconscious, we all have often have a similar experience of that thing, say, you know, a toothbrush or or an animal. And so there will be similar energetic mm. experiences or like relationships that will build with those objects or those entities because we share this collective unconscious. Now, that's not to suggest, though, that it's always going to be exactly the same. I mean, some people may have an experience of a toothbrush that's different than my experience, you know, generally not, but a toothbrush could mean something different to someone else. And so it's very important when we are working with um, information, say that we get through Google, or even as I say in, in the book for the deck, the information that I provide, this is filtered through my lens, through my lineage, through, you know, the experiences that I've had in this lifetime. So these are hopefully as close to collective unconscious representations as possible. But each person needs to feel into it too and go, well, maybe maybe snake means something very different for me than what is written here, right? And so right. I think it's not a bad thing to, to Google it and to go into what other people experience, but also always leaving space for our own knowing to emerge in the relationship that we have with that thing, right? So if you have an animal that is maybe more challenging to work with, how do you enter into it the same way? Mm-hmm. Um, so can you give me an example when you say like more challenging? I mean, is there something you have in mind? Um, well, I guess maybe just the like coyote or animals that people possibly have more judgment toward naturally, like reptiles and you know the the more sinister feeling animals at least in our kind of like lore that we've grown up with mm-hmm. a shark i, don't I know. think in <laughs> it is actually fairly unfrequent for people to um have aquatic animals not it's certainly mm. you know, obviously people connect with do- dolphin and and whale but Again, they are existing in a realm that is hard for us to uh, associate with, you know, and have an affinity to Um, the higher apex predators for sure, orca and whatnot, but sharks, and I'm sure that people do connect with it. But have you read, um, oh, what's it, Pullman, uh, The Golden Compass? No, but I have it on my shelf. A friend gave it to me. I just reread it because it's one of my favorite favorite books. It's it's such a beautiful treatise on a shamanic perspective, you know, written by some British guy, you know, about other dimensions. And like, it's, 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 he has such an unbelievable understanding of what my teacher taught me in terms of how, you know, her indigenous lineage experienced the world, the worlds that we live in. And so each person in these, in these books has a daemon and the daemon is the animal that is is best sort of 
associated with their character, right? And so in the book at some point, as, as the connection to what we were just talking about, he says, you know, it's very difficult for an animal to have a daemon that is aquatic because the animal has to live in the sea, right? And most people don't live on the sea or in the sea all the time, right? There were some boat people who might have an aquatic daemon in the book. But same with our, I tend to find that it's it's easier for people to see themselves, uh, I think understandably, in um, terrestrial animals, right? Right. So let's say you do have kind of like a challenging land right. animal. I think in that case, it is beneficial to read someone else's experience of it and to be able to see the positive in what we might have associated as only negative, right? Someone who has a not particularly good relationship with snake is going to have a hard time if, you know, it comes up that snake is their their ally or their guide. Um, their cultivated response or reaction to snake is going to be, yuck, I don't want to be affiliated with that at all. And they might not understand because of more of a kind of biological, I mean, it's said that, you know, on an evolutionary basis, we all have some sort of fear of snakes because they were a significant predator for our, you know, um, ancient ancestors. But if you can read about the teachings of the medicine that snake carries from someone else's perspective, the medicine of transformation, the medicine of, of using speech um, in a conscious way, the medicine of, of releasing the past, right, then somebody might be able to reconceptualize what it is that that animal carries beyond their own personal experience, right? And I don't mean to be too paradoxical in saying, you know, it's very important to enhance and pay attention to your personal experience of these entities and these energies. And at the same time, we need to sometimes go beyond them, right? And realize that right. we only have a limited experience, especially an animal that maybe we've had no interaction with or people who live in cities. I mean, that we, we don't have the opportunity to encounter these animals frequently, right? So they we might not have any relationship. And so I think it's important to connect with maybe a teaching that says, here, think about them this way. This is the way they've been traditionally, you know, um, connected with or what we believe the medicine that they offer is. And that might give a doorway into building a relationship with them. when you kind of have like a fearful relationship I feel like it ties into that mm -hmm. or an animal that constantly shows up in your dream of where you're like being mm -hmm. chased by this animal or there's there's mm -hmm. almost like this antagonistic relationship um yeah. I know in the past you've told me that it's kind of like a part of you that wants reintegrating so maybe it's not even an animal per se right. um and it's more right. just an energy that that animal represents, but do you feel that, I, I don't know, there's like stories and traditions that it's like when animals chase you and come after you in your dream, that is actually an ally that you're mm -hmm. not tapping into. Mm -hmm. Well, it, I think it is such a, a, there's a beautiful correlation between um, that perspective from more of a shamanic angle to what Carl Jung proposed with, you know, the, the integration that we are, working through and seeking in our dream life, right? Where he said that um, when we have a dream where we encounter a terrifying energy, right? So uh, often he said that it'll be energy that is very opposite to us. So if you are a female, it's going to be this like really ominous male energy and you often it, it's faceless or or is has a really you know un you can't see the face clearly and it's going to be pursuing you and in the dream um you're going to be like beyond terrified of this energy you know and thinking that you have to get away from it because you know this is a, a longer connection but when we create our ego self we create this idea of who we need to be in the world in order to be loved in order to be accepted in order to be received well by the circumstance the environment that we find ourselves in right and so in doing that we create this idea of who we can be and then we create we we unconsciously fragment from who we cannot be 
right? And we break mm. off from the parts of ourselves that are, are truly part of us, and we put those parts down into a box, basically, in our psyche and are into our unconscious, and we say, I am not allowed to be like that ever, or people are not going to love me. Now, healing is a process of integration, of reclamation and becoming whole again, right? Where we are calling those pieces of ourselves that we have fragmented or broken off from consciously back in and and welcoming them, right? But the, the conscious ego mind doesn't want that to happen. It says, no, 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 you cannot let those pieces back in or mom and dad are going to leave you. Everyone's going to hate you. You're not right. going to be okay, Right. And so in our dream world, if we if we see dreams as this healing process that so many lineages and all of Carl Jung's work Carl Jung's work emphasized, is that you know, the part that we have deemed as bad, our, our shadow self, if you will, you know, or the fragmented soul self is trying to come back and trying to come back into us. And we we demonize it because that's what we did in early childhood, right? We say, no, 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 that's, that's my bad part. I am not allowed to interact with it. Right. And so I think the same thing goes for our animal spirit self, you know, if we see that as an extension of our archetypal energy, you know, that we came into this world with is that we will often have relationships with animals um, that feel antagonistic because our psyche has decided that the characteristics of that animal and or that part of ourself, you know, is unlovable, right? Mm. I, for my entire life, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, have had this terrifying relationship with bear. And when I was a kid, I would have um, prophetic dreams about bears and, you know, have panic attacks because I'd tell my mom, you know, we can't go somewhere. We're going to see a bear. And sure enough, you know, I'd, a bear would show up and, and mm. I was always in in terror of meeting one. I mean, they're just the most magnificent animals. They are truly so powerful and I think I fragmented from my bare self who is so grounded and so sure of herself and so connected to the plant kingdom. Bear energy carries a really intense connection to herbal medicine and um, mm. healing through plants, which is a bigger and bigger part of what I do with people and how I work with you know my own medicine um, with, for myself. But when I was a kid, I, I fragmented from that. I broke off from it. And so I would have these dreams all the time of bear pursuing me constantly and and waking up in this panic because my psyche wasn't, it couldn't let that come back in. And then years ago, and, and not to suggest I've you know gone on the other side of this, I'm still afraid of bears, but I definitely have a different relationship with it. But my teacher came to my house. And she said, tonight you're going to have a very important medicine dream and you need to pay attention to it. And so mm -hmm. she left, I went to bed. And in my dream, I was walking along through this very long sort of almost like a trailer house. It was all white. And at the end of it was this huge grizzly, this huge female grizzly. And she, oddly, I think I, I recall now that she might have had the fridge open or she was doing something in the fridge. It was all really weird. Or like she was just like f sort of messing about in the kitchen. And I walked in and I was terrified and, and paralyzed for a moment and then started to run and started mm. to leave the house. And then I remembered that my teacher had said I was having a medicine dream. There's a component of lucidity that came into play. And then also that Carl Jung admonished people that, you know, if we want to heal in our dreams, when we are being pursued, we have only to turn towards that which we feel is pursuing us and we will be able to integrate it, right? That's what we're trying to do. And that's why our subconscious is bringing up these, these images and these energies is to call us to, to integrate them. So I stopped in the dream and I turned back towards the bear. And as I turned towards the bear, she turned towards me and it was my face on the front of a bear, on the head of a oh, bear wow. with like blonde hair coming down the sides. It was, I mean, I'd, I've never seen my own face in a dream before and I instantly woke up. But when I woke up, I could feel that I had reintegrated that bear energy. You know, it was a totally different sense of being in my whole self, right? Because I wasn't right. resisting it in the same way. So, yeah, I do think that when people have an antagonistic relationship with an animal energy, um, to not take that at face value and say, this is just something 
that's not connected to me. I think that, in fact, it might be so connected and so important that our psyche has banished it, right? And I, mm. I think this is where a lot of, you know, our, our sense of developing the sense of the other, right? Is that like, no, they're not like me. I'm not like them. They're these things that are over there. They, the, the they, that whatever that might be, um, carries an energy that is very important for us, very important for us to reintegrate into ourselves. And yet, because of our sense of separation, we're not able to, we're not able to heal, right? Right. Ooh. That would all make sense. Yeah, yeah that's good. So do you did you do you actually feel a marked difference in your life before and after that dream? It was so big, like a, a big is such a beige word to use, but it was <laughs> it was a transformation for sure. Um, yeah. I've had several kind of stepping up, I guess, if I could to describe it in a non-energetic sense. It's it's like. Yeah, like pieces clicking into yourself, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. where you didn't realize that a piece was missing and then it's there and you're like, wow, I, I'm i a different person. And I had a couple of these um, with this Haida teacher that I was working with for a while um, and he would use a lot of bear grease, which is a traditional um, practice with a lot of uh, First Nations um, people up here is using bear grease and he would specifically um, combine it with a water lotus and then I had to rub it on my belly and it was a way of like kind of like locking bear power back in mm. and while I was doing that work with him I had this experience one day I was standing at my kitchen window and we were living in a city at the time and I was looking out and I could feel no fear like I, I could have no fear of the whole system. And I, again, it's very hard to describe, but it was like because of the wholeness, I realized that I was not separate from that bear energy and that I didn't have to fear it, right? It was not something that I needed to be um, worried about, right? And and I think like the Satori moments, the so-called enlightenment moments that are said to occur when someone is practicing Zen, um, we, we have those moments and then they slip away and then we have to do the work to get back into them. And when we achieve complete enlightenment or whatever it is that we are pursuing, then maybe we can inhabit that space forever. But in other in all lineages, you know, we, we go in and out of those states. And so certainly right. I went into that state and then came out. And I mean, now if I'm walking in the woods by myself, I'm kind of a little bit scared. <laughs> so <laughs> I saw three bear on the way to town yesterday and one, a mom with a baby that was maybe a few days old, like the size of a small teddy bear. And like, Aww. I don't think there's anything cuter in the entire world than like these little balls of fuzz. And it was just like yeah. bombing down the road. It was so scared. I felt so bad because we were driving and of course scared it, you know, but so they're just the most magnificent animals, you know. And I think that also is is also true for people when they are connecting with their animal spirit is that they'll just have this, this awe, you know, and, and sense of... I just wonder at the, the magnificence of these animals. And, and hopefully that occurs for people with a lot of animals. But I know for myself that the animals that I'm connected to, that I have a relationship with, I have perhaps a, a deeper level of appreciation for. Well, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. It is very automatic for, and something that I, I think we need to enhance perhaps um, in our cultural practices that, it said that prior to the age of about six, children actually associate better with animals than they do with human beings. And that's why a lot of the characters in children's books are animals is because we anthropomorphize. We very easily give human characteristics to animals when we're children. And working with spirit animals is basically that, you know, we're, we're trying to say if this, this being was a person, basically, like what would they be like? Right. And right. that's, that's a bit of a stretch for a lot of adult minds, right? Because we tend to think in terms of, you know, kingdom separation, like they're over there and yes, they might be mammals too, but we are humans and or species separation, mm -hmm. I suppose. 
you know, that there's and there, there's no connection. And Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about this in a lot of her writings, and she calls it species loneliness, you know, that when we are just relating to human beings and just thinking about life as a human being, there's a loneliness that's there and we don't even realize it's there. It's been there probably for most of our lives where we are just not valuing other species as equal to us, right? We are sitting on the top of our apex evolutionary ladder and we don't realize that the disconnect that we have is from other species is is a source of so much of our suffering. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipnik people. All music, editing and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. Thank you.